So welcome. I want to just say welcome again. If you're online and you've joined us online, we want to say welcome to you. If you're new here with us present this morning, welcome. We're very grateful uh, and honored that you're here uh, worshiping with us this morning. My name is Tri. I'm one of the pastors here um, at the church, and I want to just say goodbye 2020, um, right? Um, I don't know how to feel about 2020. I don't know if you guys are, are like me, but I'm still processing my way through 2020. Um, you know, it wasn't all bad. Uh, there was a lot of interesting things, and I'm, I'm hoping that God really taught us some different things, some interesting things through the, through the middle of that. One thing being that, that honestly, uh, tomorrow doesn't necessarily uh, have to look like today, that, that, that things change. Life changes. It changes rapidly, and um, as we really experience that, and we also experience kind of a, uh, a dissolving of many of the things that we hold as secure in our culture and in the world around us. We saw those things kind of just fall out from underneath us a little bit. And so I think those are important lessons. Those are great things um, about the year 2020. I think it also gives us another opportunity. You know, we had a, a real close down and, and, and a lot of things have been different and not as many things or activities and stuff like that have been going on and sports-wise and all kinds of stuff, you know. Not that any of those things are bad, but, but I think it also gives us an opportunity to say, what are we going to let back in? What are we going to let back into our lives? How, how busy are we going to allow ourselves to be? And, and are, we, are we really ready to, to make some room uh, for God in 2021 and, and His purposes in our lives and His plans as we go about this? So uh, basically, this first one here is um, just uh, we're, we're continuing on. We're, we've been going through First uh, Peter, if you're just joining us, and we're at chapter 4, and we're going through chapter, or, uh, chapter 4 verses 1 through 12 here this morning, and we're just going to call this love fervently, fervently loving um, in the midst of this. And so uh, it begins this way. It says, therefore, remember, and when it says therefore, it's always therefore a reason, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because the one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human lusts, but for the will of God. And so Peter is beginning to, to talk. Remember, we're talking about displaced people. We're talking about a persecuted church that Peter is addressing. And he's, he's talking about the idea of struggle and suffering and how life has changed for people. And it's not looking exactly the same. But to take heart and to understand and know that God is at work in the middle of this, that he's, that he's changing us, he's forging character in our lives in ways that only happen sometimes through the struggle. So it goes on and it says that, this, that, that we're supposed to do this, we're supposed to arm ourselves uh, basically with this, with this attitude or this mindset of Christ. Well, what was that? It was, it was about deference to others. It was about considering others as more important than oneself. It's about sacrificial love and, and, and the impartation of hope and life into other people. So, so he's calling us here to have a mind that is really aligned with Christ. And, and so it, it begins to talk about this one who has ceased from sin. And so Peter is talking about changed individual lives, and this is the very core of the gospel, is that we would be changed people. 
that we would be people who were transformed, that because we have a relationship with the creator of the universe, that's left us changed and different. Because we're given a new directives by God's word of how to live and how to be, that, that it's kind of like, it, it doesn't mean that we've ceased to sin and that we've now become perfect people. It means more that it's hindered it in our lives. And we know the reality that, that when we face struggles or hard times or suffering, what it does in our lives, the, the good effect that it has in our lives is that it, it's a reset button that helps us to reprioritize what's important in our lives and what's not. Because all of a sudden, when we're facing real trials in our lives, we find that, that, boy, some of the things that we were giving a lot of importance to or time to or whatever, all of a sudden, they just kind of dissolve into not being quite so important anymore. And so therefore, sometimes that reset button can be a really good thing because it helps us to focus back on relationships. It helps us to remember like, what's really important in this life? What's life really about? And what am I called to be living my life for? And, and so, so sometimes this struggle gets us to reprioritize and move through uh, some of these things. Now, uh, it goes on in Ephesians 2 to, to a, a really great reminder for us. It, it talked about there at the end of that verse 2 that, you, you know, it's no longer to live for the, for the lusts of the flesh, but to begin to live for the will of God. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, and you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, or the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance to the lust of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So again, the, 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 the gospel is all about a transformed life. It's about a life that's been changed, right? It's, it's about remembering where you were at when you lived back in BC. Remember BC? Before Jesus, right? Before Christ. But now we've had this, this thing where we've, we've met Jesus, and, and in that, the Holy Spirit has, has come into the life of the believer and begun to change us, begun to give us gifts and, and change and, and a different perspective, a different alignment with life and the problems of life and what life is even about. And so we're called um, in this to remember that, that we also, too, we're, we're, we're in the thick of the struggle, that, that we were deceived, that we lived in a place where we didn't really get what life was about. We didn't really understand the meaning of life. And we began to invest into certain other things, thinking that there would be a great payback in our lives, maybe, or, or that we began to think that, well, it's about this, it's about stuff, it's about my house, it's about my relationships, it's about this person, it's about that person, it's about my kids. And while life certainly has facets of those things, the first thing that life is about is about God. And he's the one who begins, when we start there, it prioritizes our life into a better place. But the first thing we need to remember when we start dealing with a lost world is where did we come from? We came from a lost place. We came from a broken place. We were messed up. I mean, try and BC was a really different guy. Not that I'm a perfect guy, but you know, the, the, the directive of my life has changed. The direction has changed. I, I'm no longer seeking out what I used to seek out. Jesus changed my life. He came in, he wrecked a lot of stuff about me, and he changed me, and he set me in a different direction. And so this is about individual life change also. 
goes on to say, for the time already for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of indecent behavior, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and wanton idolatries, right? And, and so what, is the, what are we supposed to do with a world or if we live in a world that, that believes possibly that there is no God or, or that God is just kind of out there, he's just he has no real meaning, he has no real uh, authority in our lives, well, then it just becomes about a good time, right? It just becomes about how much can I get? How, uh, you know, how many toys can I die with? How much fun can I have in the midst of it? The problem with that is that ultimately that that is a thief and that begins to rob real purpose from us. It begins to rob real, um, real passion from us and it leaves us empty almost always. First Peter 4, 4 and 5, thank you. You could tell I'm dying here, huh? Thanks, Lisa. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of debauchery, and they slander you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So they can't believe, the world can't believe that if you've made this change in your life, that you're not into the same stuff you used to be into. They can't believe that you wouldn't still be all about going the same places and doing the same thing. And what generally tends to happen, and certainly this was true for me in my life, when I came to know Jesus, I actually lost a lot of friends because they were like, man, don't talk to Try. He's like on that Jesus bus, man, and he's, he's, just, he's, he's lost his, his, flipped his biscuits, man. And so, so anyway, we, we, we get on this and, and it begins to change our lives. And, and it's not that we're, we're, we're sitting in this space of being like, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. We generally get to this space of God has changed my life so much that I no longer want to participate in a lot of these things. I, I don't, that, that time has passed. It's gone. It's, it, it, it doesn't have the same appeal. It doesn't have the same meaning. But see, if, if we're not running in that, it's almost taken by the world as a, as a, um, as a rejection, really. It, 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 it comes across as that we're now we're judging and now we're rejecting. Um, the world um, and the enemy uh, are just upset when we don't celebrate the same things that the world is celebrating, when we're not into the same things, when we're not doing the same things, when we begin to stand apart and different from the culture around us, um, it can be perceived as, as rejection. The other thing, too, is that if you're not doing the right thing in your life, and we all know, I always knew all the things that I did that weren't right, I always knew they weren't right when I did them. I, I, I knew they weren't right. That's why I generally did them at, in the dark, you know, because you don't want to be revealed for doing these things. But, but when we're not doing the right thing, you generally don't want to be around somebody who does want to do the right thing, right? You just don't want to be there. So, so anyway, um, the, the, the gospel is about this individual change but not just for ourselves. Peter goes on to say, for the gospel has been preached for this purpose. It's been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as people, that they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Um, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now, Peter now begins to outline kind of this, this old lifestyle into this new lifestyle. And what is this to begin to look like? It, it, it's, a, it's a different lifestyle. It's one that begins to be lived with a different community, a different intentioned community, a community that is kind of headed a little bit um, in a different direction here. 
Um, and, and, and so uh, in, in verse 7, it tells us that the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So now, we know that, that we're two, over 2,000 years past this, basically, or, or even at this time, you know, maybe not quite even 2,000 at the time of the writing of this, but still, it's been a long time, right? And, and this is still going on, and they're writing back here that the end of all things is near. Well, okay, here's what I'm going to tell you about the end times. They've never been closer than they are today, right? This is what we know about the end times. They've never been closer than today. But do you see, about the end times kind of stuff, our job as Christians has never changed. Our, our purpose, our directives have never changed, and they don't change according to the end times. The end times are supposed to be lived by believers like they're going to be today, right? How would you live your life if you really were living your life like today was the last day? Like, like, the, like Jesus is coming back this evening, right? We're going to be busy. We're going to be like, where's a mop? Give me a mop. Give me a bucket. Uh, give me something. I need something. To, I'm gonna, I got to get busy, right? And, and, and so not that this is about works or that God is calling us to a bunch of works, but what God is calling us to is a spirit-filled life, a life that is led by the spirit of life, that is spirit-filled, that is moved, and that directionally, our direction and our feet are moving in accordance to the mind of Christ and what he would have us to do. So um, we, we've got this idea that, that and Jesus kind of left us with this parable, and, and it's this one, it's, it's in Matthew 25, and it's a parable of these 10 virgins who are awaiting um, the bridegroom, the arrival of the bridegroom. This is the wedding party, the bridal party. And, and to kind of get some reference to this, we've got to understand a little bit about a Jewish wedding. For one thing, at the time that... that um, a husband and wife were kind of betrothed to one another. What happened was that they were kind of legally bound at that point, but, but the, the groom would then go back to his father's house, right? And, and he would begin to make an addition on the house or a, or a new house. And that, that house was for his bride. And, and so when Jesus tells us, you know, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you will be also... He's, he's painting this wedding picture kind of a thing. And so, so the son would go and he would begin to build and he would start to put some, together some stuff. But it was the father who would tell him when he could go and get his bride. You know why? Because any guy who's excited about getting his bride is going to go back to the father's house, put up a couple of chunks of sheet metal, a few two-by-fours, and run back and grab the bride, right? This was to make sure that he prepared a proper place for his bride to come back to, a nice place, a good home for her. So whenever he was working, maybe he'd be working on his, this place, and somebody would walk by and say, hey, when are you going to get your bride? Because they'd know that he's betrothed to this person. He'd say, oh, only the father knows. Only the Father knows when I get to go because it's the Father who would come in and say, okay, this place is ready. Go get your bride. So when he went to go get his bride, it might be a long ways away. And guess what? Probably if he's been waiting this long, he's leaving at that point in time. And he might show up to pick his bride up at midnight. So that's just a little backdrop into this parable. And it says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps 
As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wives, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, open to us. But, the, but he answered, Truly, I said, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So when we start talking about end times things and whatnot, we're just supposed to live like it's now. It changes nothing about the Great Commission. We're supposed to be busy making disciples. We're supposed to be busy, led by the Spirit, waking up on a daily basis saying, God, what are you up to, and how might we join you in that? Keep a sober spirit, sound judgment, right? These things are our minds, like, what is this about? Now, avoiding ourselves getting caught up in things that really don't matter. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. So um, we are called here to love one another. Now, this is, this is where we move out of this, these individual changed lives into a corporately changed group. Uh, the church is an interesting organization. I've said it before, but the church is the only organization I can think of that exists for those who aren't in it. It actually exists to equip us to go out to share with those who aren't in it and to, to bring them in, to create a community that looks different a community that has a different goal, has a different perspective on life, a different um, trajectory in how we're doing this and why we're doing it. And it starts with loving one another, fervently loving one another, deeply loving one another, creating a community that somebody might want to be a part of. It doesn't say just come to church on Sunday. It doesn't say just read your Bible and say a prayer in the morning. It, it, it talks about fervently loving one another, and the only way to fervently love one another is to be actively in community with one another, to get to know one another, right? And sometimes we say, man, I don't want to be in community with that dude over there, right? And maybe you're talking about me. I get it, you know, because um, that, that can be a reality. But I want to tell you that the, the, the thing about the, the church that is a, an amazing thing is how it brings so many people together diverse backgrounds, different people, different perspectives, different thoughts, different uh, places in life, different educational things. And it brings us all together. And it's the only thing that I know of that would bring us all together, right? See, if we just choose, if we were just to choose and be like, oh, I want to hang out with this guy and that guy, the change doesn't happen. Growth doesn't happen. This happens when we're challenged by one another, you know? Like Jeannie always says, I'd always use her analogy of the river rocks. They didn't start out like that. You see a nice, smooth, round stone, didn't start out like that. It got that way by rubbing up against other stones, tumbling over each other, getting in each, you know, kind of getting in the way and, and all of that stuff. And over a course of time, those jagged edges start to get broken down. Well, that doesn't happen with just me hanging out with me or just the people that I choose to. So the church is this organization, and the call in the church is to hold love at the highest place. 
to recognize and start to appreciate the diversity that exists within the church, to start to live with different people's, um, the differences between us, the different thoughts, to learn how to really exhibit and, and share grace and love and compassion and kindness and begin to really do life together. Jesus said that you will know them, right, for the love that they have for one another. Matter of fact, I'm going to, let's look that over. Um, that's, uh, shoot, where is that? It's in John. Oh, yeah, I'm not in John. That's why. I think I lost my place. There, I got it. Um. Now I'm stymied. <laughs> I can't even find it on my page. What did I do? Oh, there we go. 13. This is getting embarrassing now. You ever just went blank? Like blank, like I can't even think? That's where I'm at right now. My, my, my brain totally shut down on me. I got it now. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So really, the, one of the most uh, powerful things that we have to reach out into the world around us is to create a community that looks different. A community where people are really living life together, are really doing this. And part of our vehicle for doing that is small groups is joining in and being a part of a small group and getting to know people, doing life together, sharing with one another, and growing in relationship and love to one another. Because it's not just about coming to church, right? It's not just coming on Sunday. Church is a deeper community to that. It's about hospitality. It's about opening our doors to one another. It's about, it's about thinking that way. And I know that this is a tough time, but, but here's what I'm thinking right now. I'm thinking that, that, that we need to be preparing for new times. And some people, some of us think that we're going back to the, everything the old way. We're not. It's a new thing. And God is always doing a new thing. He's moving forward in time. He is not looking back in time. He is going to do a new thing in this time. And, but I think that there's a lot of things that stay the same. And I want to encourage us in this year that when we can, when we're able to truly open our doors to one another, and we can do that in safe ways and all of those kinds of things in responsible ways or whatever that looks like, this is where we need to be headed. This is what we need to be doing. We need to be hospitable to one another. Guess what root word comes out of hospitable? Hospital, right? Caring for the needs of others, the brokenness, realizing where we're at and, and, and being there for other people. The Webster's Dictionary defines hospitality as generous and friendly treatment of visitors and guests. Dictionary.com says it's a friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Hospitality is a sacred act. It really is to open our homes, to sit down at a meal. How much ministry did Jesus do at meals? A lot. A lot, of, a lot of ministry, a lot of relationships happen. You know, it's an amazing thing. If you just sit down and have a meal with somebody, you know them in a new way. I'm, I'm never cease to be amazed at how poorly we do at meeting each other in this environment right here. But if we just spend a little bit of time together doing something, 
It just changes everything. Church, I'm convinced, isn't the best place for people to meet one another. We just don't do it. We get comfortable. We hang out with who we're comfortable with. We talk to who we're comfortable with, then we leave. But if we're doing things together, if we're actually living life together, if we're a community together, and you spend just about an hour with somebody, you'll know them on a level that opens doors. There, there's something happens and something changes. And so this is something. I hope that, that God is giving you a vision for this church because I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to see us start to, to wrestle through that. Who are we and where are we going? If we weren't a church here in Sheridan, would we be missed? Would the community miss us? Because if the community wouldn't miss us, we're missing it as a church. Um, but hospitality is a sacred thing. Um, goes on to say this, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So it goes on to talk about the giftings. And, and here's what I want to encourage us with. Each and every one of you out there, if you're in Christ, you have a gift you have a spiritual gift that's been given to you. You have a way of doing certain things or seeing things. Um, you have a way of, of understanding things. You, you, have, a, you have a gift. And, and see, if, if we're just a Sunday church, there's no way that on Sunday we're going to be able to take all of your gifts and use them on that Sunday. It's just not going to happen. But if we're a church that's deeper than that, if we're a church that's moving forward, this is the picture is that, is that you've been given a gift and that you're supposed to use that gift. It's not your gift. It belongs to the church. It actually belongs to the Spirit. And the Spirit gives these gifts as He sees fit for what? For the glory of God, to make God known in the world around us. These giftings are, are, are laid out for us um, here in, in, in Romans 12. Um, hear this. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith... If service and are serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, um, it says in verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So these gifts are given by the Spirit. They, they are uh, given for the church and for the edification of the church. 
And I'm convinced that the church won't be the church unless the gifts of the Spirit are exercised among us in a biblical fashion. But, but these, these, these gifts are given so that the church is known and understood, so that it's seen as an organization on the outside that exists for those who are outside of it, so that it looks like a community that people would want to be a part of because we're loving one another in a manner that's evident. You know, you, 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 we kind of just want the world to look at us and say, you know, they're kind of freaky, just a little bit freaky, but man, there's something about them. There's something that they know that I want to know too. I've been wrestling through who is this God and what does he want? And maybe they know something that I don't know. But certainly we want to be this kind of a church. We want to be the kind of a church that is creating a community that is attractive to those that are outside of it. One that lives out the gospel within itself and outside of itself. Truly fulfilling the Great Commission. Truly living like Jesus is coming back today, right? and loving one another fervently so that we show and make evident in our own lives the reality of Christ and the gospel in that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave your all for us. You, you, you gave us everything. You bought salvation for us. You imparted your spirit into us. You gave us gifts. Lord, we thank you, thank you that you are a giving God. God the Father gave the Son. The Son gave the Spirit, and the Spirit gave gifts to the church, and the church is now meant to give those gifts to a world around, to, to put on display the glory of God, the, the, the magnitude of God, the magnificence of, of who you are, Lord. So help us, Lord, help us to, to sort through that, to, to find the vision that, that's not our vision, but the vision that you have for the church. Help us, Lord, to, to know you in a deeper sense, and help us, Lord, to to not just be content with an intellectual experience of you, but to know you, Lord, in a deeper place, to, to know and experience you, Lord, in our spirit. Lord, and may we be a church that, that would be missed if we weren't here. May we be effective in our community. May we reach out. May we not just be inwardly focused, but Lord, may we look outside of ourselves and recognize that there's a broken and a hurting world out there, a place where we came from, a place where where we were lost and we were subject to deception, but then you found us and you rescued us from that. So Lord, help us that we might have the same heart that you have for the world around us. Give us a heart that beats with your heart and eyes that see it the way that you see it, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, and we praise you, and we pray these things in your name, amen.